Hello, everybody, and happy Friday to you. It's MLB Morning Coffee. We don't have a whole lot to talk about today, really. It's kind of a slow news day. We're going to do a quick edition of the Daily Grounds, and then we're going to go into something that I already talked about. But I want to play it for you again to kind of emphasize, and the reason why I want to do this is that our first story on the Daily Grounds has to do with the pitch selection against Clayton Kershaw in the 2017 World Series. We'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to talk about my expectations for the Dodgers again this year because after this news came out and how Dodger fans are feeling, I feel like there's going to be an extra motivation for them to come out and be the best team in baseball. So without further ado, here are the Daily Grounds. And a friendly reminder, please make sure to write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. I promise you we're going to get back to more full-length episodes in the coming days. Just been a slow news cycle, and we're trying to get through all of this as best as we can. So here are the Daily Grounds. Clayton Kershaw, as it was revealed by Tom Verducci yesterday of Sports Illustrated, had 51 pitches that were either change-ups, curves, or sliders in his 2017 World Series appearance in Houston. The Astros did not whiff on any of them. They either made contact or took each of those 51 pitches, proving that the Astros hitters knew that they were coming. This is a big deal in many instances, but especially with somebody like Kershaw, who's been completely ridiculed for his postseason performance, I just feel awful for the guy. If you know what's coming other than a fastball, you're going to know where it is, how to time it, where to place it. I think that one of the biggest advantages sign-stealing gives is the fact that you're able to time one of the pitches. So if you know it's a curveball or a slider as opposed to a fastball, you know to wait back on it a little bit more. That's why I think everybody is so suspicious of Jose Altuve when he crushed an Aroldis Chapman slider. In that scenario, you can wait back on a slider. You know the angle it's coming in at, you know the spin rate it's coming in at, and you know exactly where you want to turn on it. A fastball, you've got to be a little bit more ahead of because your timing on that is a lot different. So if you know that Kershaw's going to throw a fastball, you can time that a lot better than if he's going to throw a curveball or a slider. And especially if it's a curveball and you know it's coming and it's a curveball, then if you see that it's going to fall out of the zone, you have no temptation to swing at it. Thus why Kershaw was pounded so hard in his World Series appearance in Houston. This just furthers the narrative that the Astros are going to be in a world of hurt around all ballparks they go to this season in MLB. I'll be very intrigued to see if their spring training high seven hit-by-pitches increases throughout the course of spring training. It will certainly be high during the regular season itself, but make no mistake about it. When this got revealed by Verducci yesterday and somebody actually went back and was able to pinpoint all 51 of those pitches, it makes it really clear that what the Astros did in the World Series gets more and more egregious by the day. Angels right-hander Griffin Canning is going to seek treatment on a sore right elbow before throwing again after an MRI on Thursday revealed chronic changes to the UCL and acute joint irritation. This is a sign that could not be good for Canning, who last year went 5-6 with a 4-5-8 ERA before being shut down with elbow inflammation. He was a second-round pick out of UCLA in 2017 that rose through the Angels system very quickly. Joe Madden said that, quote, he's had a history of this, so of course you're concerned. 
Hopefully, if he's got this treatment underway, it will not spell Tommy John surgery going forward. But still, whenever you see an issue like this, you always fear the worst, especially for young, hard-throwing right-handers who seemingly blow out their arms trying to throw too hard. Michael Kopech, who throws over 100, had this issue and is hopefully going to be in the White Sox big league rotation at some point this season. But the fact that so many guys now are seemingly having Tommy John surgery makes every little issue like this even that much more concerning. Hopefully for Canning and Angels Club that's going to rely on him as one of their big pieces in the long term, this proves to be nothing but just a blip on his radar and he can get back to throwing very soon. Astros starter Justin Verlander threw a two-inning sim game instead of actually starting in a spring training game because of what he called groin tightness. Verlander said, quote, It went about as good as I could have felt today. Maybe notice it just a little bit. Once I got on the mound, just kind of tried to pitch and not worry about it too much. He also said that my dad sent me something last night. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Now, for somebody like Verlander, who's getting up there in age and won the AL Cy Young last year with a record of 21-6 and a 2.52 ERA, keeping him healthy is of the utmost importance. Verlander has somewhat come under fire because he has not been very vocal during the turmoil that has come during the sign-stealing scandal for the Houston Astros. Verlander in the past is somebody that has been first to criticize almost anything and anybody that goes against him or that goes against pitchers. Now, Verlander, I think, is going to be fine, but at what point does Father Time finally catch up with the former Tigers ace? I think this year could be that year because with Garrett Cole gone, Houston is going to have to rely more and more upon Verlander to pitch as great as he has his entire career, and that's a lot of pressure for somebody who's getting up there in age. Interesting news out of Washington where lawmakers are pushing for Kurt Flood to be elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Flood historically became the first person to declare for what is known as modern-day free agency. Quote, What Kurt Flood did and championed is resonating throughout professional sports for the past 50 years, Rep. David Trone, a Maryland Democrat who is leading the push for Flood's entrymen, said at a news conference. Flood was 31 years old when he sent a letter to the Commissioner of Major League Baseball on December 24, 1969. He had spent most of his career with the St. Louis Cardinals and wanted to declare for free agency. What a great ball player, Senator Roy Blunt, a Missouri Republican, said. When the great Stan Musial was finishing up his career in right field, Kurt Flood would play all of center about half of right so that Stan the man could still be on the team. Flood, in a career that spanned parts of 15 major league seasons, hit a lifetime 293 with an on-base of 342. He had 85 career homers and 636 career RBI. He also stole 88 bases in 161 attempts. So by no stretch is he a Hall of Famer by his statistics. I think this is more of a acknowledgement for what he did for baseball type of enshrinement. I'm not sure this is such a news story, hence why we're having a much shorter episode today, but I still find it quite interesting that there's actually push from Congress in order to have this happen. To be quite frank, I think Congress should be focusing on more important things such as, well, the country and the well-being of its citizens. But hey, if they want to get Kurt Flood in the Hall of Fame, that's totally fine too. Given what we were talking about in regards to Clayton Kershaw, because this is somewhat of a slow news day, 
I want to replay for you my analysis of what I expect from the Dodgers in 2020 because the fact that after this news came out about Clayton Kershaw, I feel like there is a lot to be said for the Dodgers coming out like world beaters in 2020. I feel like everybody seeing what's happened to Kershaw is going to make the Dodgers that much more motivated now that they have Mookie Betts. So I'm going to play you a cut of what I talked about in regards to the Dodgers. This was on our episode about a week ago, what I think the Dodgers are going to do going into 2020. Uh, Appreciate you all listening and enjoy this throwback to last week in regards to the Dodgers in 2020. One of the things about the sign-stealing scandal that was interesting is that people talked about how much it affected the Dodgers in the 2017 and 2018 World Series and the Yankees in the 2017 and 2019 ALCS. The question I want to get into today, and this is going to be more of a transition into our previews of the season is what are the windows at this point for the Dodgers and the Yankees because on paper they're two of the best teams in baseball let's start first with the Dodgers they've had an unparalleled run of success in the NL West over the last decade yet in terms of titles they have nothing to show for it they have somebody in Clayton Kershaw that has been regarded as one of the best starting pitchers in baseball during his career however He has severely struggled in the postseason. You've got a stud in Walker Buehler that came up fast through the Dodgers system, a former first-round pick out of Vanderbilt, and has proved over his last two seasons that he has a chance to be an elite arm. They did lose Hinjin Ryu in free agency to the Blue Jays, and that's really going to hurt because Ryu, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the Cy Young voters, was one of the top three pitchers in baseball last season. You pick up David Price, who is an interesting acquisition because, as most people know, he was dumped by the Red Sox in order to dump salary. But for as much as Price has been criticized for his Red Sox career, it really hasn't been that bad. Let's take a look at Price's numbers in his four years with Boston. In 2016, he had a 3.99 ERA over 35 starts, a 17-9 and record, and he threw 230 innings. Now, 2017 is a lot of what he's going to be criticized for because he got hurt. He had a 338 ERA, but he only pitched in 74 and two-thirds innings. His last two seasons, 176 innings in 2018 and 107 innings last season. He got hurt for part of last season, and his 428 ERA was the second highest of his career behind only his 2009 season, which was his first full season in the big leagues. I think if David Price shows the type of gumption that he has had over the course of his career, he's going to be a pretty good number three starter. They also brought back Alex Wood, who they had traded away to the Reds in the deal that sent Yasiel Puig to the Reds, and that was also a salary dump move. Wood got hurt last year, and he only made seven starts, but Alex Wood, in his three years, three full years, I should say, with the Dodgers, had a very good run. His best year was 2017, where he finished top five in the Cy Young voting, I believe. He was 16-3 and with a 2.72 earned run average over 152 innings of work. Wood is a guy that is never going to overpower you, but is somebody that's going to throw a lot of strikes, 
he's going to be able to change speeds pretty well, and if he stays healthy, he's going to be a really good number four starter, and I'll actually confirm, really, wow, he only finished ninth in the Cy Young voting in 2017, but it was his only all-star appearance. He did have Major League Baseball's best winning percentage at 84.2%. Take that for what you will, because he was 16-3. and Then you've got Dustin May, who's probably going to be your number five starter. May, who is known for his flowing red locks of hair, and I can say that as a bald guy, I am very jealous. May made four starts last year, 14 total appearances, and had a 3.63 ERA, but he is probably going to be a big part of that rotation. So looking at how the Dodgers' bullpen shapes up, You've got guys like Pedro Baez, Caleb Ferguson, Dennis Santana could show a little bit more, Ross Stripling. He signed Blake Trinan on a deal that probably you're hoping for a big bounce back from him. Uh, Blake Trinan in 2018 was probably the best closer in baseball with the Oakland A's. He had a .780 ERA, over 68 appearances. He had one of the nastiest sinkers alive. He had 100 strikeouts and 21 walks, but last season he completely bombed. He had a 4.91 ERA, which was the highest of his career, and the A's decided not to bring him back. So Trinan, you've signed on a flyer. Joe Kelly, who throws over 100 miles an hour, you're hoping for a better season from him. Kenley Jansen, obviously the Dodgers' stalwart closer. And, and looking back, by the way, at Kelly's numbers, he had a 4.56 ERA last season, and in Boston he had a great playoffs in 2018, but his ERA was also above 4.3. It was 4.39 in 65 in two-thirds innings. Kelly actually, when you're looking back at his statistics, hasn't had consistently great years on the ERA end since his first two years in the bigs when he was with the Cardinals. His best year since leaving the Cardinals was 2017 with the Red Sox when he had a 2.79 ERA in 54 appearances. So the Dodgers pitching staff appears to be pretty good. You've got a couple of other flyers that may end up being a part of that rotation. You've got Jimmy Nelson, the former Brewers ace, that has been battling injuries, and they've taken a flyer on him. And then there's Julio Urias. And Julio Urias is a guy that I am very intrigued to see what the Dodgers carve out in terms of his role going forward. He was the stud Mexican lefty that burst onto the scene back in 2016. He had reached high A by the time he was a 17-year-old and made his big league debut at 19 years old. Urias in his rookie year had a 339 ERA over 15 starts, but was up and down between the minors in 2017, only pitched in 23 innings. In 2018, he was hurt for most of the year, only pitched in four innings, and last year he was a main part of the Dodgers' bullpen, making 37 appearances. He made eight starts, and he went 4-3 and three with a 2.49 earned run average. By all accounts, I think this Dodgers pitching staff is pretty good. I think losing Hin Jin Ryu is going to be a big part of it, just considering how impactful he was during last season. But if Kershaw can be Kershaw and Bueller can continue to be what he's been since he's gotten to the big leagues, I think the combination, whether it's some form of Price and Wood and May and Urias and Jimmy Nelson, their rotation is going to be in pretty good shape, and I think their bullpen is going to be as well. Now let's go to the lineup. 
The infield is as good as you can imagine. You got Justin Turner at third, Corey Seager at short, Max Muncy over there manning first base, Kike Hernandez at second base along with sometimes Chris Taylor. You're going to get Gavin Lux up in there, who is the Dodgers' top prospect. Edwin Rios had proved last year that he could be a part of the lineup going forward. So that infield is set. Cody Bellinger, he's more than likely going to end up being your starting center fielder again with Mookie Betts having been acquired. He's in right field. Jock Peterson more than likely your left fielder. That could end up bringing A.J. Pollock off the bench. Or Pollock ends up as your center fielder and you decide to move Mookie Betts over to left and have Cody Bellinger play right. Betts and Bellinger, I think, are the corner outfielders if your plan is to have Pollock play center. That leaves Chris Taylor, who had been one of your main outfielders last year. I think he could end up as the main utility guy and also play a little bit of second base in the process. So this Dodgers lineup is going to look pretty darn good. You're going young at catcher. You've got the former first-round pick Will Smith, and Austin Barnes. They did not bring Russell Martin back. I think this has got to be the year for the Dodgers to get over the top because look at the rest of the National League. What other elite team do you see in the National League? We'll get into the Reds in a future episode, but the Reds made a lot of improvements. On the St. Louis Cardinals end, I think that they've got a decent rotation. We got into a little bit of their rotation issues when talking about Miles Michaelis the other day, but I think their rotation for the most part is going to be solid. However, their lineup may have some trouble scoring runs outside of Paul Goldschmidt. It's not a very powerful and impactful lineup, and you're going to have to rely on pretty good years from guys like Paul DeYoung and Matt Carpenter, and Carpenter in particular has really struggled over the past two seasons. The Brewers have traded away a lot of their guys. The Cubs have got a lot of issues on the pitching side of things. In the NL East, I think the Atlanta Braves are probably going to be the best team in that division just because they have the best lineup top to bottom of any of those teams. Washington obviously got hurt big time by Anthony Rendon leaving, but you still have a solid rotation with pieces like Max Scherzer, and Steven Strasburg, who they just signed to a brand-new seven-year contract. They're going to have to rely on a lot of innings from aging veteran Anibal Sanchez, and they're going to have to hope that Patrick Corbin lives up to the money that they gave him last offseason. Their lineup, meaning the Nationals, is still going to be pretty solid, but losing a guy like Anthony Rendon is really going to hurt. They did pick up Starlin Castro. They brought back Howie Kendrick. They picked up Eric Thames to help fill a first baseman corner outfielder's role. They still have got Trey Turner, and their outfield is going to be pretty much set with Adam Eaton, Victor Robles, Juan Soto, Andrew Stevenson. So I still think that that team is going to be very good, but they're very young, and they don't have the same type of thump that the Dodgers do. In terms of teams in the NL West, I mean, the Giants are going to be terrible because they are starting from scratch in terms of a rebuild. They've got a lot of aging veterans that don't have the same impact that they once did. I don't think the Rockies are nearly as good as they were two years ago, and they still could trade Nolan Arenado. The Padres are on the up and up, but I don't know if they're necessarily ready to compete yet. So that leaves the Arizona Diamondbacks, in my opinion, as really the only team that I think is going to end up competing 
in the NL West with them. Now, let's take a look briefly at what the Diamondbacks did this offseason. They picked up Madison Bumgarner. They picked up Junior Guerra from the Brewers. They'll have a full season of Mike Leak under their belts. And then they're also going to have Robbie Ray coming back. And Luke Weaver will more than likely complete that rotation. I just don't see the Diamondbacks competing yet. I think that they are in a position to where they might compete. But you look at their infield right now. Eduardo Escobar is a solid option at third base. Jake Lamb is going to be kind of filling in all over. I expect Lamb to play a lot of first base. Cattell Marte has the chance to be a superstar. He'll be their starting second baseman. Nick Ahmed is going to be at shortstop. And then their outfield, they picked up Starling Marte, which I think is a huge pickup for them. It's going to be Daniel Peralta, Starling Marte, and Cole Calhoun. They also picked up Steven Vogt, which is a fantastic acquisition, number one, because I believe in Steven Vogt. That's a chant that the old Oakland A's right field gang used to have for him. And he's going to team up with Madison Bumgarner, who got to catch him in 2019. In any event, I just see the Dodgers as having to win the National League this year. They have to. And we'll get into, on a future episode, a little bit more in terms of the contracts and what to expect from the Dodgers in terms of who they will keep and who they will end up scuttering away after the year. Because even though the Dodgers have boatloads of money, they're still going to have to be budget conscious. My main thing is the amount of money that they have given to Kershaw, and they gave him a brand new deal after the 2018 season. And Kershaw, for what it's worth, isn't getting any younger. He doesn't have the same zip on his fastball as he used to. And quite frankly, his money is going to end up being a burden to the Dodgers going forward if he doesn't provide the same type of production that he's had across the course of his major league 